Greetings, everyone. It's January 17th. Welcome to the One-Year Bible Tour Guide, a daily podcast where we read consecutive portions of the Old and New Testaments until we have read through the entire 66 books of the Bible. We follow the One-Year Bible Reading Plan that you can access at oneyearbibleonline.com. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and in each podcast I will serve as your tour guide, pointing out highlights and giving context to help you navigate through the pages of Scripture. Today we will continue to read from the first books of the Old and New Testaments, the book of Genesis in the Old Testament and the Gospel of Matthew in the New, as well as making our daily stops in the book of Psalms and Proverbs. So let's get started where we left off yesterday by beginning with Genesis chapter 35, starting with verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. Jacob appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come out of you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it, and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin, or Benjamin. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is a pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder.
While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bila, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bila, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were a hundred and eighty years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Chapter 36 These are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, Ahalabama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Basamoth, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nabayoth. And Ada bore to Esau Eliphaz. Basamoth bore Raul. And Ahalabama bore Jehush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Adah, the wife of Esau. Rehul, the son of Basamoth, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Reuel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the sons of Basamoth, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ahalabamah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs Teman, Omar, Zopho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adah. These are the sons of Reuel, Esau's son, the chiefs Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the chiefs of Reuel, in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basamoth, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ahalabama, Esau's wife, the chiefs Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs born of Ahalabama, the daughter of Anna, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. These are the chiefs of the Horites, 
the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori and Hemon, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manaath, Ebal, Shepho, and Onam. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya, and Anna. He is Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. These are the children of Anna, Dishon, and Ahalabama, the daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Dishon, Hebdon, Eshban, Ethron, and Cheron. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zahava, and Akan. These are the sons of Dishon, Uz, and Aran. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishon, Azar, and Dishon. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Seir. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom, before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, the name of his city being Dinhaba. Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, reigned in his place. Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, reigned in his place, the name of his city being Aveth. Hadad died, and Shamla of Masrakah reigned in his place. Samla died, and Shaul of Rehoboth on the Euphrates reigned in his place. Shaul died, and Baal Hanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. Baal Hanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar reigned in his place, the name of his city being Pau. His wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, daughter of Mezahab. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their clans and their dwelling places, by their names, the chiefs Timnah, Alva, Jetheth, Ahalabama, Elah, Pinon, Kenaz, Teman, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau the father of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. So let's recap. In Genesis chapter 35, Jacob is instructed by God to return to Bethel, the place where God introduced himself to Jacob in a dream. He made known himself as Yahweh, the one true covenant-keeping God, when Jacob was fleeing Esau in Genesis 28 verse 19. There Jacob built an altar of thanksgiving to this God who had revealed himself first to his grandfather Abraham, his father Isaac, and more recently to himself. Jacob speaks of God as being the one who answered his prayers when he was in distress and who has been with him wherever he has gone on his journey. In Genesis 35, 3. Do you take time to build an altar of thanksgiving and encourage others to join you, offering God the worship and praise that is fitting to his self-revelation through his word? Jacob told those in his household to destroy their idols, wash themselves, and put on fresh clothing. He wanted those who were with him to know his story. He wanted them to know this God who revealed himself to him, spoke to him, and dealt with him when he was fearing to meet his brother Esau. He wanted them to know his grace. But he also wanted them to know that this God would tolerate no competitors. They were to recognize that this was the one true God, 
not in any way like the gods of their imaginations or the tribal deities of their ancestors. He was not to be put on the same shelf as the gods of the nations. This God was the Creator and Lord of all. Long before the law was given to Moses, God was making it known to Jacob that no other gods were to come before him. In Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. In Exodus 20, verse 4. Today we often hear people say, I like to think of God as... And then they fill in the blanks with their own imaginative concepts. They construct a God fashioned after their own personal desires, ambitions, and preferences. Someone once said, If you are worshipping a God who always agrees with you, you are worshipping an idol. I believe this is true. God is holy. He is set apart. He is in a category all by himself, and there is no other. In Jacob's time, many people kept small idols made of wood or metal. They called them teraphim or teraphim. They were objects of worship, good luck charms. They thought these figurines would protect their homes. They also had legal significance. The one who possessed the family idol would be able to claim the greatest part of the family inheritance. These may be reasons why Laban was so upset that his family idols were missing. It may be the reason why Rachel stole them. Laban was not only upset that Jacob took his daughters and grandchildren away without saying goodbye, but also because his idols were gone. In Genesis 31, verse 30, he says, Now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? What might be your idols today? Do you give higher esteem to the wisdom of men than to the wisdom of God's word? Do you give your greatest affection to the lesser gods of our culture, to the sports teams, to political leaders, to the stock market, to relationships, to material possessions, to your achievements, to the gratification of your selfish desires? Take this advice that is repeated throughout the Bible. Little children, guard yourself from idols. 1 John 5, verse 21. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. Are we as eager as Jacob was to bring others to the house of God, Bethel, and join him in worship of the one true God? Are we as bold as to ask them to put away their idols? Are we as convinced as Jacob was that he had found the real thing, second to none? When Jacob gets to Bethel, God renews the covenant promises he had made with Abraham regarding the land, the multitude of his descendants that would become a great nation. But he also added a new important detail to the promise. Kings shall come forth from you. This was new. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. Not only would kings come forth from Jacob, but also the king of kings. This chapter records the deaths of significant figures in the Genesis story. Deborah, Rebecca's old nurse, Jacob's beloved wife Rachel, who died giving birth to her second son, Benjamin, and Isaac, Jacob's father, who died at the ripe old age of 180. 
This is a bit of a surprise, as it looked like Isaac was on his deathbed 20 years earlier in Genesis 27, when he was of dim eyesight and wanted to pass on the family blessing to Esau, but blessed Jacob instead. So he had quite a recovery. And now we read from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you, who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope." In this passage, Jesus clarifies that He is the author of the law, and therefore He knows what the law requires and what it does not require. The law was given as a revelation of God's righteousness. It exhibits the character of godliness. It was given to show His chosen people their need for His reconciling work prefigured in the tabernacle ceremonies. The law was not intended to be interpreted as a set of rules to put people in bondage. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and therefore, Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, and all that it represents, is His idea. The Sabbath was instituted as a reminder to the people of Israel that they can enter into God's rest. They are invited to enter into God's satisfaction with His works of creation and redemption and cease from their self-works, such as self-justification, self-redemption, self-aggrandizement, and the labor of their livelihoods. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
The Sabbath was to be a blessing, not a curse. Warren Wearsby writes, quote, The Sabbath law was given to Israel as a mark of her relationship to God. In Exodus 20, verses 9 to 11, chapter 31, verses 13 to 17, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 12 to 15. But it was also an act of mercy for both man and beast, to give them needed rest each week. Any religious law that is contrary to mercy and the care of nature should be looked on with suspicion. God wants mercy, not religious sacrifice. He wants love, not legalism. End quote. Jesus uses the illustration from the life of David, a man the Pharisees knew had a genuine relationship with God. David was a man after God's heart, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. When David and his men were hungry, David recognized the heart of the law and asked Abiathar, Ahimelech's son, the priest, to make a special allowance for his men so they would not starve, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Although the letter of the law restricted the eating of the showbread to priests, David, while discerning the holy significance of the showbread, and without showing any disrespect for what it represented, took the showbread that Ahimelech mercifully offered to feed his men. If David could discern the heart of God, however imperfectly, how much more the Son of David, Jesus the Messiah, could perfectly discern God's heart, for a greater than David is here. This incident is found in all three synoptic Gospels, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 23 to 28, and Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. But only Matthew adds this second illustration. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. In Matthew 12, verses 5 to 6. The temple was the place where God met with man and man met with God. Those priests who were in the holy temple were permitted to do their holy work and eat the showbread, while not negating its symbolic significance. Jesus was saying that he was the substance, the reality behind the shadow, the symbolism of the temple. In the book of Revelation, he is the temple. In Revelation chapters 21 and 22, he is the true meeting place where God meets man and man can meet God. He is the express image of God's glory. To be in Christ is to be in the greater temple and therefore free to enjoy the full benefits of the priesthood and partake of the presence, the power, and the life of our Lord, who is our daily bread. Many Jews expected the Messiah to be a high-profile liberator of the people of Israel, leading them into victory against all their oppressors. In Isaiah chapter 2 and in chapters 62 through 63, Matthew highlights the fact that the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament speak of him as the servant in Isaiah 42 and in Isaiah 49, verses 5 and following. The servant who heals, helps, and suffers. He is humble, gentle, patient, and leads justice to victory, not through crushing his enemies, but laying down his life for them. In Romans 5, verses 8 to 10. And now we're reading from the book of Psalms, 
We're in Psalm 15, verses 1 to 5. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Psalm 15 gives us a description of a citizen of heaven. It would be a helpful exercise to paraphrase this and meditate upon possible examples of how these behaviors can be worked out in our lives today. Some questions for us. Am I keeping my mind free from impure thoughts? That's the subject of personal purity in verse 1. Is my walk equal to my talk? That's a question of personal integrity in verse 2, part A. Do I do works that reflect Christ's character of righteousness? In verse 2, part B. Do I speak the truth to myself in my heart and to others? In verse 2, part C. Do I speak well of others, avoiding sins of the tongue such as gossip, slander, maligning, sarcasm? In verse 3, part A. Do I show love to my neighbor and seek their welfare? In verse 3, part B. Do I borrow other people's offenses and fail to resolve conflicts promptly and biblically? In verse 3, part C. Do I love what God loves and hate what God hates? Do I secretly approve of what God disapproves of? In verse 4, do I seek fellowship with godly people and honor opportunities to join them in true spiritual worship? In verse 4, part B, am I consistent in my pursuit of godliness? In verse 4, part C, do I treat others with equity and justice? In verse 5, the life of Jesus fits this description. If I walk in the Spirit with these intentions, I can be a faithful pilgrim who will not be shaken, as described in verse 5. And now a reading from the book of Proverbs, once again chapter 3, but now we're doing verses 21 to 26. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul, an adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. I hope you're experiencing the benefits of holding on to God's wisdom and discretion. And the writer of Proverbs gives us a description of the many benefits of having personal peace and security, not being afraid, having the ability to put your head to the pillow at night knowing all is well, God is in control. You're not afraid and you do not panic when you are faced with uncertainties or the onslaught of the wicked. 
because the Lord is your confidence, and he promises to keep you from all hang-ups. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are the truth, the one true God, the real deal, the Lord who created the universe, who mercifully came to be our needed deliverer, our meeting place, the perfect image of the Father, the way back to the Father, and the bestower of the life of the Father. May every activity this day be part of the altar of thanksgiving that we are building in our hearts. Convict us if we are harboring anything that competes with your rightful supremacy in our affections. Keep us from manufacturing a counterfeit Jesus and cause us to cleave to the real Jesus who is the living Word of God, the Lord of the Sabbath, the law-giver who is also the law-keeper in our hearts. Enable us today to walk with a renewed mind in the newness of life. Holy Spirit, we yield to your work in our lives. Make us more like Jesus. Father, be glorified in us and in your church, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this year's Bible reading tour. I hope you're finding it helpful. There are some who say that you read the Bible just as you would any other book. What they may be missing is that the Bible is not just like any other book. It is distinct in its revelatory nature and requires the illumination of the Spirit. You remember that Jesus opened the eyes and set the hearts of his disciples ablaze after he rose from the dead and met with them on the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24. There he explained the scriptures to them and gave them understanding. Our prayer is that he will continue to be at work opening our eyes and setting our hearts on fire. If this podcast is a blessing to you, or if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you, and you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And you can learn more about the ministries of New Life at our website, newlife.org, and also subscribe to a free daily email with a written commentary with charts and maps and pictures that help you navigate your way through the one-year Bible readings. The website's easy to find, newlife.org. And don't forget to let others know about this podcast. Responding, indicating a like, or clicking subscribe wherever you get your podcasts will help us in our mission to spread the word and the love of the truth. God bless you, and may he keep you looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Shalom. Shalom.